Well, good evening. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter four. All right, you guys ready to finish up the book of Colossians tonight? All right, you're a little too excited to be done with this sermon series. I don't know know if that's encouraging or not. No, I'm glad that you guys are ready to just jump into the text tonight. Um, I do want to say that uh, it has been a joy and just a great honor and privilege to be able to have this opportunity, to be able to uh, preach and teach the Word of God to you. Thank you for your continued presence here. Thank you for for joining us week in, week out, and for thank you for all of the, uh, the, the very kind words that many of you have shared with me throughout these last several weeks as we've walked through this book together, this letter that uh, written by the Holy Spirit, like inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, through the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to finish this up tonight. And as a matter of fact, um, we're just going to go ahead and jump directly into the text tonight. We're going to begin with verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, and then we're just going to finish it out. We're going to read all through to the end of this letter. Colossians chapter 4, starting with verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And you guys, um, as we start with verse seven, the rest of the letter, you guys just bear with me. I'm going to pretend like I know how to pronounce all these names. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord, and we are thankful for it. And so, uh, just to begin tonight, um, I'm... And as studying this, you know, different commentaries, some, I guess, commentaries are a little bit more scholarly than others. And so I'm not going to do a deep dive into this, explain all of this, but some of the commentaries that I studied talked about the, I guess, the literary structure of this book. And like I said, I'm not going to bore you with all those details. But what I do want to share with you is that part of that literary structure in the book of Colossians is that Paul finishes the letter 
in a way that is very similar to how he began it. So as far as like topic-wise, what he, the, kind of the content that he's covering, he's gonna finish the letter, or he has finished the letter, in a way that is very similar to how he began the letter. So um, if you think back, those of you who were here for week one, when we just the first few verses of Colossians chapter one, in fact, um, it should be just a page or two if you wanna flip back. Um, when he began this letter, when he was talking to these believers in the church in Colossae, he began this letter by focusing on prayer. I even remember like one of the, the main points of that very first message one of the, from the outline was gospel-shaped prayers. And so we see in uh, chapter one, verse three, he says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus when we pray for you. And then skipping down to verse nine, it says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so going back to chapter four, he is again going to touch on this topic of prayer, but as he finishes the letter up, it's a little bit different. If you look back at those two verses in chapter one, he was saying that we are gonna pray for you. As he finishes his letter, now he's saying, he's asking them to be praying for him. And so what we want to focus on, he is asking for prayer. We're gonna focus some more on prayer tonight. And by the way, that's why we've been so, we've attempted to be so prayer centered each week. We, we end our time of teaching with prayer, intentional prayer, guided prayer, because it is a topic that he began the letter and ended the letter with. And so when he is asking them to pray for him, what we need to realize is that the thing that Paul was asking for, the thing that Paul desired more than anything else was for the mission of Christ to be completed. The mission of Christ, the idea that this, this concept, what, what Chad has been preaching as far as our mission statement, we want our mission statement to line up with the mission statement that Jesus gave to his disciples when he began the church to go and to make disciples of all nations. And so we're gonna focus on that mission tonight and what Paul wanted was we, we need to be praying for the completion of the mission. We, we need to be praying for the completion of the mission. So look at uh, verse two, Colossians four, verse two. He actually, in this, this verse, he describes, really gives them three words, three ways that describe how they should be praying. So we're just gonna cover those real quick and then we're gonna focus on what he actually asked for them to pray. But first he gives them uh, how they should be praying. And I'll cover these very quickly. First he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. So when we pray, we pray steadfastly. That means that we need to be diligent in our prayers. It means that we have to keep at it. It means we don't give up. It means that even if it feels like our prayers are hitting the ceiling, even if it feels like our prayers are not being answered, we keep praying. It means we do not give up when we pray. Uh, I love, you can maybe jot this down, but there is a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. It's called the parable of the persistent widow. And I'm not gonna explain the whole story. You can go look that up if you have time later. But it's just this beautiful picture of this person who really has nothing, who is seeking justice and can't get it. But through her persistence, the fact that she will not give up, she eventually receives the justice that she has been searching for, even from an unrighteous, maybe even corrupt official. And so the point is that how much more so will a righteous and holy and loving God give to his, his children the things that they ask for when we ask it according to his will? So we need to be steadfast 
in our prayers. And then he says, continue steadfastly in, in prayer, being watchful in it. So the second way that we need to pray is we pray watchfully. Um, we need to be alert and awake in our prayers. We've got to be uh, like alert of what's going on in the world when we pray, which, by the way, um, just this is a safe space. You can feel honest. You can like, answer honestly here. Anybody ever like dozed off during a prayer? Like, I mean, you got your eyes closed. Sometimes it's real comfortable in the room, right? Like, this is, you can, you can, like, so we need to not do that, right? Like, we know that that's not what we're supposed to be doing. But, but in a much more real sense, in a spiritual sense, we need to be alert and awake in our prayers, aware of what's going on in the world and praying for those things. Again, looking to another passage of scripture that we don't really have time to go to and kind of explain, but Mark 14 talks about uh, it's the, that scene of Jesus and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's gonna go off to pray by himself and he tells them as he leaves them to stay and to keep watch and to pray. So he ventures off by himself to pray and when he comes back, what does he find? Some sleeping disciples. They were not able to keep watch. So we don't need to follow their example. We don't fall asleep when we pray. We don't fall asleep in our spiritual walk with the Lord. We wanna be alert, be awake, be watchful in our prayers. And then he says, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so our prayers, we need to pray them with thanksgiving. Um, we talked last week about the household of God and we talked about the relationship between children and their parents. So for the parents in the room, has there ever been a time when your children came to you asking you for something and maybe it was like a good thing, maybe it was something, maybe you even were like very willing to give it to them, maybe it's something you wanted them to have, but the tone of their voice when they were asking for it caused you to have at least take a moment of pause, right? Like maybe you said something like, oh, I would love to give you that, but you're gonna have to find a better way to ask for that. Because sometimes when we ask for things, we do it with, in, in a selfish way, maybe even an entitled way. We better be real careful if we approach the almighty, all-powerful God of the universe with that kind of attitude. So when we approach the Lord and we put our requests before him, we ask things of him, we need to do that with a spirit of gratitude. We go to him with thanksgiving. So, so very quickly in that verse, that is how we are to pray, but then he goes into more detail as to what we're to pray for. And so that's kind of the next two points in the outline. So first he says, pray that God will open doors. Pray that God will open doors. What are we supposed to pray for? Well, he wants us to pray that God will open doors. Verse three, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. So really, what he's asking for is like, ask God for open doors. He's asking God to provide opportunities for him to share the gospel. Now, it's, it's really interesting to me that when he tells the, Colossian, the Colossians to, to pray for open doors, he reminds them that right now he's in prison. So Paul is literally sitting behind a locked door and asking for an open door, but not for this particular door to be opened. It's fine if that door stays locked. What I want are just opportunities, open doors to people, 
to opportunities to share the gospel with people, even if it means I stay locked up. Like if, I, if, if I'm just gonna share the gospel with other prisoners or with the jailer or with like visitors who are coming into the jail, like whatever I've gotta do, just pray that we are going to have open doors. And if he is released, if he does gain his freedom, that he can go out into the world like he had been doing, going to places where the gospel has not yet been proclaimed. So he's praying, asking them to pray for open doors, more opportunities to share the gospel. And so obviously application, this is what we need to be doing as well. We need to be praying for open doors, praying for opportunities for us and for our church and for so many other people all over the world to be able to share the gospel with people. I feel like this is one of those prayers that in our minds, we know this is a good thing, we know this is something that we should do, but we're very hesitant to actually follow up on it. I feel like it's one of those prayers that sometimes we're a little too afraid to pray. Because if I pray for open doors, God might actually open them, and then he's gonna expect me to walk through it. If I pray for opportunities to share the gospel, God might answer that prayer, and then I've actually got to share the gospel with somebody. And for so many of us, that is a terrifying idea. Like, I mean, that's really one of the number one, if not the number one reason that people don't share the gospel more often. It's like, we're afraid. Fear of rejection, fear of so many things. But it's what we have to do. And, and we have to remember that there is no reason for us to be afraid. We're gonna talk more about this because it's not up to us. It's not about our skills and abilities. It's all about God, the one who is with us to the ends of the earth, to the end of the age. So we pray for open doors and we need to be ready to walk through them. We need to have the boldness to trust in the Holy Spirit, to trust in Jesus and to be obedient to the command that he has given us to share the gospel to make disciples. So we pray that God will open doors, and we also pray that God will open hearts. So as he keeps going, verse four, he says, that I may be able to make it clear, which is how he ought to speak. Then he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. So really what he's talking about here is that as you continue to pray for opportunities, when I get those opportunities, pray that I will be able to most effectively share the gospel with the people that God has opened those doors to in such a way that they would receive the gospel, that their hearts would be open to it. Pray that I'm gonna be able to make it clear to them that that person, that God is gonna help that person understand the gospel that I'm sharing. Pray that I'm able to walk in wisdom toward them, that I'm not gonna make some foolish mistake that's going to offend them or push them away. Pray that I'm going to have gracious speech that's seasoned with salt, right? That is like pleasing to them. That's something that they want to hear. And when they have questions, pray that God is gonna give me the answers so that they have objections. If there's anything that they don't understand, that I'm able to clear that up as best as possible. So he's saying, like, give me the ability to reach those people that he would, God would open the hearts of those people and allow me to most effectively share the gospel with them. And again, this is where we remember that we're not, this is not Paul saying that we need to work really hard at being like, 
having a clear gospel proclamation. He's not saying we need to work really hard at being wise and having gracious speech and answering all the questions. And, and I think Paul would affirm all those things. I think Paul would agree that those are all good things. But he never says, do all those things on your own. He says, ask God for those things. Because God is the one who's going to make all those things happen. It would be possible for you to get all of the great seminary training, theological training, or even um, training in communication. You can be the most charismatic speaker in the world. You can have all the best arguments that nobody could poke any holes into. But that doesn't mean you're going to be able to save anybody because you, no matter how great of a speaker you are, can't save anybody. That work is left completely up to God. And so that's why we have to ask God to open their hearts. Um, even, so Paul himself, we can look to, again, maybe just kind of write this scripture down, look at it later, but Acts 16, verse 14, it's the story of, of Paul talking to this woman named Lydia. And as he shares the gospel with her, it even says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. So it wasn't Paul, even like Paul was a great speaker, a great preacher. We've got his sermons recorded in the book of Acts. We've got these letters that he wrote. Like everything is like just rock solid with Paul. But Paul, even him, was not able to save anybody. It was the Lord working in the hearts of those people to make that gospel message clear and effective. And so we've got to pray that God would open hearts that we would be bold enough to take those opportunities, and when we do take those opportunities and share the gospel with people, that God would open their hearts and would lead them to respond to his gospel that he is proclaiming through his people. So prayer, we're praying for the completion of the mission. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 7, he shifts gears a little bit. You know, he's, he's coming to the end of his letter, and like a lot of his letters, what he does is he wants to address some uh, specific people. He wants to talk about certain people. And this passage of scripture is, is one of those passages that typically gets skipped over when people are preaching through it. You know, a lot of like, things like the, the greeting where he just says, like, Paul to whoever, right? People skip over those things. But sometimes there's some good truth in there. And so uh, verse 7 all the way through 18, he's just listing a bunch of names. There's a few of them we might recognize, like Mark or Luke. I think Barnabas is at least mentioned. But there's a lot of folks here that not only can we not pronounce their names, we don't have a clue who they are. Well, there's still good information, good things in this text, because this is the word of God, and there is truth that we can glean from it. So let's, let's look at this. He's, it's not just praying for the completion of the mission. Paul is also partnering for the completion of the mission, partnering for the completion of the mission. You see, what this passage teaches us, if we didn't already know this, is that Paul knew better than to try to go about completing the mission of Christ on his own. Like, we might be tempted to think, oh, this is the Apostle Paul. Like, this is like one of God's like top guys, right? He's on this completely other playing field than everybody else, and, and there's some truth to that. But even in that, Paul didn't go about his work 
on his own. Like we even see in the book of Acts when he is going on his missionary journeys, he's taking people with him. He's taking Barnabas with him or Silas or he's working with other guys like Timothy or Luke. And so what we see in this passage is a list of his coworkers, his, his fellow servants in the gospel mission, people who are working alongside of him. And so this is just an illustration of what we as the church need to be doing. We don't try to go at it alone. He's given us a church, a people for a reason. Like it's even in our mission statement. It's not just we glorify God by uh, making disciples of all nations. No, it is together we glorify God by making disciples of all nations. This is the work that the church collected, gathered together, is supposed to be about completing. And, uh, and so what we're gonna see is really another letter that Paul had written, the book of Ephesians, chapter four. He talks about the, the work of the church leaders, like the teachers and prophets and apostles, all those people. Their work is really to equip the saints, to, to train and equip the people of the church for the work of ministry. And so what we see in this passage, verse seven through 18, is evidence. That's exactly what Paul did. You see, trained and equipped other people to come alongside him and even to pass the torch to them to continue on serving in this mission. So what we see is that we as the church need to engage others in the mission. We engage others in the mission. So uh, verses 11, I mean, sorry, verses seven through nine, verses seven through nine, he's actually gonna talk about two guys. There's uh, Tychicus and Onesimus. So he says, first he mentions Tychicus, says uh, he's gonna tell you, I'm sending him to you, he's gonna tell you about my activities, the things we've been doing. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and I'm sending to him to you so that you can know how we are and he can encourage your hearts. And then he says Onesimus, he's a faithful, beloved brother. He's one of you, Onesimus is from Colossae. He's one of you, and he's gonna tell you everything that's been going on that's taken place here. And so what we see here is that these are two guys that Paul has recruited to the mission. Two guys, and when we recruit people to the mission, when we get other people, we're gonna see that these people are gonna come from surprising places and all walks of life. So, so we don't know much about Tychicus. I don't know um, what his job might have been or what he did, and maybe we could like, do some more research and find out more about him, but, but what we can tell most likely is that he would have been a free man. And that's different from the other guy in this pair, Onesimus. We mentioned him last week. We know that Onesimus was a slave. We know that from the book of Philemon. You can go there and it's just like, it's like maybe one page in your Bible, right? And he is a slave who has run away, but he's from Colossae and Philemon is his owner. And it's interesting what he says here. You look at Tychicus, how does he describe Tychicus the free man? He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Like we talked about last week, that word servant probably best translated as slave, a servant, a slave in the Lord. But then he talks about Onesimus, who actually is a slave. How does he describe him? Our faithful and beloved brother. So we have this, the, the upside down kingdom of heaven, right? Where the one who is exalted is lowered and now Tychicus has taken the form of a servant like Jesus took the form of a servant. He is surrendering his life to the Lord. But then the one who is a slave is exalted and adopted into the family of God as a beloved brother. So what we need to acknowledge is that when we engage other people in the mission, 
when we get people, other people on board, we don't need to pick and choose people based on the world's standards. Because the most effective people for God's mission, for God's work, are going to come from surprising places. We see that here. Next, we also need to encourage others in the mission. Encourage others. So what we see next is in, in verse 10, he lists, starting in verse 10, he lists three people. There's this guy named Aristarchus, and then much easier name to pronounce, Mark. And then there is this guy named Jesus who is called Justice. So apparently Jesus was a very common name, but they didn't want any confusion. So it's like, all right, we're going to give you a nickname. You get to be Justice, right? I don't know if that's true or not. I just made that up. But um, so these three guys, but he says of them, they are a comfort to me. And so these three guys, Paul says, these guys have encouraged me. Remember, like, he is in prison. He is suffering for the sake, for the cause of Christ. The reason why he's in prison is because he won't stop preaching the gospel, right? He's gonna suffer for the cause of Christ. He's been persecuted. He's now he's being locked up. And so these guys, they've been here for me. They're an encouragement to me. They're a comfort to me. And then he goes on and he talks about Epaphras next. He says, Epaphras, again, who is one of you, God, that's from Colossae. And he says, he greets you. He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He's praying for you that you would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So now Epaphras is an encouragement to the people of Colossae. So those three guys were encouraging Paul. Epaphras is encouraging the church. And, and so what we see is this, this beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be. We're an encouragement to one another. Life is hard. The Christian life is not easy. The Christian life, if maybe you could argue that if you're doing it the right way, the Christian life is never easy. There's gonna be difficulty. There's gonna be pain and suffering that comes along with it. Jesus himself warned us that because of our relationship with him, because of our, how we follow him, the world is gonna hate us. How do we get through that? How do we get through that difficulty? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus is a comfort to us, but it's also one another. The people of God encourage one another. We are there for one another. We pray for one another. We love and support one another. We encourage others who are actively engaged in the mission. And then uh, our, our last point for tonight, we want to empower others for the mission. Empower others for the mission. So, so what happens next is really just like several kind of greetings in a row, like different things that he says to different people. Um, he talks about, um, like he, he says, he mentions Luke, the beloved physician, says Luke greets you as does Demas. And he talks about the church in Laodicea. There's this other church, a house church, meeting at this lady, uh, Nympha's home. And he's talking, you know, and there's just like, he says, the letter that I wrote over here, make sure you read that one. And so he's going kind of back and forth. But then he ends this passage by addressing a guy named Archippus. And so, so here's, like, imagine this. Paul's writing this letter, this letter to the Colossian church, and he starts off addressing the entire church, like all the people in the church. And I guess like pretty much like every church, not everybody who gathers together at the church is going to be a genuine believer. And we actually know that there were some false teachers in Colossae, so some of them we know are lost. 
So there's points in the book where he kind of narrows down his focus. So he starts off talking to everybody, but then in chapters two and chapters three, there's actually a couple of different lines where he says, if you have been raised with Christ, or if you have received Christ. So like he, he kind of changes his focus and he narrows it down. I'm not talking to everybody anymore. Now I'm just talking to believers. But then right here at the end of the letter, he narrows it down some more. He narrows it down to the point where he's just talking to this one guy. He says, verse 17, and say to Archippus, man, imagine being that guy. Like there's this letter being written, being read out to the congregation and he's talking to everybody or maybe he's talking to like a large group of people but then right there at the end, your name gets called out and the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has something to say directly to you. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Man. Imagine being that guy sitting in the church service. And this is, this is the way it would have worked. Like they would have gotten the letter and then one guy is gonna stand up in front of the congregation and just read the letter from beginning to end. And they get to the very end of it and it's your name that's called. And it says, Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Imagine what that feels like. Imagine the inspiration and the motivation that you might receive from that, that the Apostle Paul singled you out. Maybe, maybe that's not motivation, maybe that's just like terrifying to you, but I would imagine that he is like gonna be motivated by this. Of all the people that could have been mentioned right here, and we don't know much about him, uh, he's mentioned in one other place in scripture in the book of Philemon again, and it's again, it is just a very quick, like in passing in the greeting of the letter, he mentions Archippus and calls him a fellow, a fellow soldier. So we don't know what his life looked like. We don't know how he responded to this. But man, I hope he was listening. I hope he heard this, this encouragement, this, this word from the Apostle Paul, and he took this and he said, Paul has just given me this charge to fulfill this ministry, and by God's grace and by God's power, I am going to fulfill this ministry that God has given me. So we want to empower other people like this. We want to like, seek out people in our congregation. We want to identify those people. We feel like God is doing a great work, so we want to engage them in this work. We want to encourage them along the way. We also want to empower them to do this work, resource them, equip them, and train them, give them the ability to carry out the work that we've done. And let's just be honest, I, I believe that Colonial Heights does a really great job of that. We've got this, this Timothy project. We've got people who, who are, like, even this morning, I didn't get to be here. We were away at another church because it's like a very close friend of ours. They had their, their son was being baptized, and so we got to go there and see that. But what I heard was that we had some people standing up at the end of the service saying that we feel God's calling to be sent out from here. And so now we want to take those people as a church, and we want to, as best we can to equip them, empower them, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to leave from here and to go share the gospel with other people. Not just, in this, not just across the reservoir like we, me and some other people are doing in August when we're gonna go plant, launch, cross community church, start a new church in that area and reach people over there, but people who are gonna go 
all over the world. We need to seek those people out, serve those people, train them, equip them, that they might be empowered to fulfill the ministry that God has set before them. So let's think about how we're going to respond tonight. I said earlier that Paul was speaking directly to this guy named Archippus, and I really hope he was listening. It might be that God is speaking to you tonight, and if he is, I'm praying that you are listening. Maybe God wants to do the work of salvation in your life tonight. We've talked about the work of Christ. All throughout this letter, we have talked about Christ exalted and lifted up and how he is the image of the invisible God. We talk about who he is. We talk about what he's done, how he has given his life, and he has made peace between God and man through the blood of his cross, that he lived a perfect life, and he died the death that we deserve to die. And so maybe God is speaking to you tonight, and he's saying you need to respond to the work of Jesus. You need to surrender your life like Paul and all these other people have surrendered their life over to Christ. In just a little while, when we, begin, we stand back up and we begin singing, or even after the service, we're gonna have some people over here in this room, our decision counseling area, that you can talk to, and that they would love nothing more than be able to share the gospel with you, help you understand it, and that maybe make it clear to you so that you can respond to the work that Jesus is doing in your life and the work that he has done on the cross for your sake. Maybe we need to follow the example of Paul and so many of his uh, co-workers in the gospel, and we need to, to be sent out from this place to go to other places and, and seek open doors, more opportunities to share the gospel with more and more people. Maybe there are more people tonight who need to who stand up and to announce that to the church. Whatever it is, we want to spend some time tonight doing what he told us to do and to pray. We want to pray tonight. And so, like we've done every week so far, we're going to spend some time in focused, intentional, guided prayer, and it's going to flow directly out of the scripture that we've just studied. So, maybe you want to gather together with some people who are close to you, kind of get together in a group, Maybe you just wanna pray by yourself. Maybe you wanna just bow your head in your seat. Maybe you wanna stand up or maybe you wanna bow down on your knees, whatever it is. Whatever God is leading you to do, just respond in obedience as we go to him. And we wanna have the right attitude when we do it. We want to uh, pray steadfastly. So we don't just pray right now. We pray steadfastly. We continue praying these prayers even as we leave this place. And we wanna be watchful in our prayer and we wanna approach the Lord with a heart of thanksgiving. So, first, we talked about open doors and open hearts, so let's do that. Let's pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Pray for people in your life, and maybe you wanna lift up those particular names to the Lord tonight. Maybe there are specific people that are coming to your mind, to your heart right now. People in your life who do not yet know Christ as Lord and Savior, and ask God, to open doors for you to share the gospel with them. Bow your heads and let's spend some time in prayer.
And now as we continue to think about partnerships that we have, partnering for the sake of completing the mission of God, I want to ask that you would give thanks to God for our church, our partners in ministry who are right here in this room with us right now, and for all of our missions partners all over the world. Take this time to ask God to use these people to accomplish his mission. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son for us, that he lived a perfect life and he died the death that we deserve to die, God. He gave his life for us on the cross. We thank you that through faith, through belief in him and through uh, repenting of our sins, God, that we can come to know Christ the Savior and receive the free gift of salvation. So God, in this time, we pray that we would not just receive that free gift and then choose to keep it to ourselves. God, I pray that we would desire, just as Paul did, to share that great gift with as many people as possible. So God, we pray for open doors. We pray that you would give us opportunities as we leave this place, maybe even tonight, God, throughout our week, throughout the rest of our lives, that we would have opportunities to speak the name of Jesus, to share the gospel with people who need to hear it, not just in our homes and not just in our places of employment or at our schools or in our communities. Yes, Lord, all of those places, but also to the ends of the earth, especially those places where the gospel has not yet reached. And God, we know that this work is too great for us to accomplish on our own. And so, Lord, help us as your church to partner together well. The people in this room right now, the people who are members of this church, and then all the different people that we have had just the, the pleasure of being able to partner with, or even people all around the world right now that we may not know who they are. We might not be partners with them, but they are your people who are serving in different places in different countries and different contexts, God. They are working diligently to share the gospel with people who desperately need it. God, help us to always be praying these types of prayers, to pray for open doors, to pray for your people, to pray for the mission that you have laid before us to be completed and that you would receive all glory for it. 
with thanksgiving, we come to you asking all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship our Lord.